Hello, hello, and welcome to The Station Tapes on 21 Soul. I'm your host, Lewis Marks, and on this podcast, I share intimate interviews with some of the best musicians in the world. In my role at rope I get to interview each artist as we prepare for the release of their latest record. I want to get the backstory, a sense of their intent and motivation around their new release. I've found that given the opportunity, in a relaxed setting, they feel free to open up about musicianship, life, and the challenges of being a professional musician. This week on the show, Mr. Andrew Finn McGill. Raised in a musical household in Asheville, North Carolina, Finn was steeped in Irish traditional music, but it wasn't until he hit the land of Brazil that his full inspiration kicked in. Finn spent years studying the language and the music, and the result is Canta Violino, his blend of jazz and Brazilian styles on the violin. Let's hear the story. We are talking with uh, Andrew Finn McGill, nice Irish name. Yeah. Well, North <laughs> Thank my parents for that. Yeah, mm-hmm. welcome. Welcome. So um, let's start in your hometown. Did you grow up in Asheville? I did. Yeah, I was born and raised here. Asheville, North Carolina. Now, how would you yeah. describe Asheville in general over the time that you grew up and, 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 uh, and specifically the music scene? Um, Asheville, both of my parents are musicians, and that's the reason, one of the main reasons they moved here in the 80s, because it's always been a pretty artsy, pretty musical town. So, so yeah, the music scene, I would say, is, um, well, when I was growing up as a kid, it was more folk, bluegrass. Uh, it was a good traditional Irish music scene. And there was always some jazz cats around, but um, in the last few years, it's really exploded into... Uh, just a music town in general. And there's a lot of big venues here, actually, for a little town of 85,000. Uh, one thing that's really popular in the last few years is swing. And I'm actually playing in a playing two swing gigs this weekend because it's one of the biggest gatherings of uh, Lindy Hoppers in the country. Really? So it's, wow. it, yeah, it's called the Lindy Hop. Or it's called the Lindy Focus. The Lindy Focus. The Lindy Focus. Um, and they, fo- yeah, yeah. And I'm uh, I'm playing with this guitar player from Seattle and a, clarinetists from New Orleans they bring in people from all over and it's so it's pretty it's pretty eclectic um a lot of swing and a lot of folk music still obviously but so, sound of musician. so were your parents uh playing traditional Irish music is that uh yeah my dad plays um I mean they both play traditional Irish music my dad plays a lot of folk and Americana you could say as well but that's their bag gotcha and 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 you know, I want to I want to discuss the uh, obviously the tradition of Irish music, and then of course Appalachian music, and then of course uh, mm-hmm. all the other places that you have traveled. Uh, with, mm-hmm. But sure, what uh, you know, what generation uh, did your family come over to the states? Are are you kind of steeped in that uh, um. Appalachian tradition, or is it a later? entry to the United States but uh, what's the story there so my parents we wouldn't know any of our cousins you know if we have them. I'm sure we have them but we're, we're a few generations removed I want to say like at least four or five uh, I'm clearly not the genealogist in the family but my parents both have Irish on both sides and so um, I guess they got into the music as a way to connect with those roots a little bit and um, and also my dad, I think uh, he was always involved in music and in the 
70s, there was a bit of an Irish music revival, which he got swept up in. And, um, and he actually played Irish music full time in the 80s. Um, so they, they did not grow up with the music, but they both have a connection to it, at least ancestrally. And I think that has a lot to do with um, why they play it and why I grew up in it. Gotcha. And, and was yeah. uh, the choice of instrument, when did you, when did you pick up a fiddle? Uh, well, I was 10 years old, wow. 10 years old, and it was completely by accident. <laughs> it, was, it was only because my sister, my four-year-old sister at the time, uh, she was, she was going to learn the instrument, but she got bored about 10 minutes, 10 minutes into her first lesson. And because my parents had already paid for a month's worth of lessons, they were like, ah, oh, well, Finn will do it. <laughs> <laughs> right? And I did. And 20 years later, I'm still doing it. They always call you Finn, by the way? Um, by your middle yeah, name? Yeah, it kind of it changes back and forth. Most people call me Finn, my middle name. But um, uh, they probably call me Andrew. Yeah. That's but Finn, Finn is sort of a nickname. So at what point when you're learning, did, did you, you know, become – you know, fully aware of, you know, the longtime tradition of, I guess, is it Welsh and Irish music in the United States and, and what those roots mm -hmm. are all about? Or are you kind of, when you talk about roots, are you talking about directly back to Irish folk music? Um, yeah, so for my, my roots were always Irish music. And then I came to American music and other kinds of music later. So my roots are... Uh, definitely Irish. And that has a lot to do with, besides that my parents play, um, I was a fortunate. So my dad wears a lot of different hats. He, his main thing is he directs a series of music workshops at a small liberal arts college here called Warren Wilson College. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's been doing that for 27 years. So he would bring all these world-class fiddlers, uh, not just from the Irish tradition, but American bluegrass swing, you name it. And I would get to study with them every summer. And, um, so that was like huge for me to be able to have access to all these people that, you know, that I grew up listening to that were legends in my mind, you know. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but the Irish was always my, my musical roots. To get back to your question. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so you're aware of it, but your, but your roots are definitely straight to Ireland rather than through the filter of uh, Appalachian, Irish and Welsh music, right? Yeah. And as I said, I think that had uh, a lot to do with my direct access to these Irish musicians who he would bring over. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't just getting the tunes off of YouTube and stuff. I was actually learning it from these, from these amazing people that I idolized as a kid, you know, and getting it kind of from the horse's mouth or whatever the phrase is. Yeah. You know, it's fascinating. I, I, you know, I've been doing these interviews for a little while now and, 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 one of the things that seems to be a constant is that um, people are either related to or have connected with uh, a particular individual who has been proactive at, at building the scene and building a community mm -hmm. around a particular style of music, uh, often in an educational setting, but sometimes, you know, down at, down at the bar, you know? Um, sure. At a community. Makes sense. So it's fascinating to hear. Um, so yeah, I think it's, go ahead. I was going to say, I think, I think it's really important to have people to play with. Otherwise, you know, why, why do you do it? You know, like I once met a kid from rural Pennsylvania who, uh, 
he was a really great fiddler, but he had literally no one to play with. And I was just like, man, like hats off to you, man. Like what, what inspires you to keep learning? And this was before YouTube and a lot of, you know, and social media. And um, I was just amazed. And that's kind of how I feel sometimes here with Brazilian music. Because there's not really anyone that, <laughs> that plays Brazilian music, unless it's like Girl from Ipanema, you know. But uh, I just think that community, to, get, to hark on your point of community and people to play with, it's a big deal. So, and, and, and so you, so you I, I want to point out, um, uh, well, first, just let me say that you then traveled to Brazil, and we're going to talk about that mm-hmm. and that influence. Sure. I want to point out, you know, I was looking at stuff today, and it, it just hit me. Uh, do you know Clay Ross? Yeah, I know Clay. So the, this, the, the, Absolutely. There's a parallel there. You know, we put a couple records of Clay's out uh, years ago. Oh, cool. Uh, you know, we actually, we yeah. have a lot, a lot in common, which I could go into later, but um, the fact that we both got Fulbrights and we both married Brazilian women and both lived in New York City and kind of hang around that scene a little bit. Uh, but yeah, Clay's an amazing guitarist, amazing guy. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, the, the similarity for me that hit me right away was, you know, both of you are in Carolina and then end up in Brazil. Uh, so I just, right. Yeah, that's right, right. He's from Charleston, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, right. so let's talk about your journey uh, to Brazil uh, and, and how that changes mm-hmm. the style of music that you're interested in and, and, that, you, and that you're performing. Mm-hmm. When did you first go? Uh, I actually first went to Brazil in 2007 uh, for like six weeks, and it was to do kind of an ethnomusicology project about Afro-Brazilian music in the northeast of Brazil. So that whet my appetite. That kind of got me interested in the culture as a whole. I wasn't really playing the music then, but um, I, uh, I went back in 2014 really just to study Portuguese because I'm, um, I'm really interested in language and languages I've studied probably about 10 and I speak a few so uh, my goal was to go there and become bilingual that was my goal and then uh, I met a girl (laughs) and a few months later I found myself living in Brazil um, to be with her but once I decided I was going to move there I figured well you know I'm a musician I should learn some some Brazilian music like really learn it not just girl from Ipanema and I started with this genre of music called Shoro, C-H-O-R-O, which is all instrumental. So it made sense to start there as a violinist. And um, I just, it blew my mind, Louis. It was like like a whole other world. I mean, everything about it, the rhythms, the melodies, which are extremely difficult, the counterpoint. There's just, there's so much there to satisfy a musician. And it was so foreign to me, yet so familiar. So I really just played Brazilian music for like two years. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be in Rio de Janeiro, which is kind of like, I liken it to being in New York City in, say, the, uh, the 50s, or even earlier than that, like maybe the, the 40s for bebop or the 60s for folk, you know what I mean? To have direct access to these, these amazing people, uh, these amazing musicians. So um, when I was down there, I started a few bands, uh, mostly in Choro, but I kind of branched out to samba and then... Uh, sort of a part of my life we skipped over a little bit. In between Irish music and Brazilian music, at some point jazz happened. And so I was already really interested in um, like harmonic theory and like jazz music and 
um, what we call jazz music, you know, improvised based music. And I, uh, I started to compose a lot more of that kind of music, kind of at the, uh, the behest of some Brazilian friends of mine. And that morphed into Canto Violino eventually. So I love the expression, at some point jazz happened. That, that I, could, I could apply that to my life as well. Um, <laughs> right. But, but so, so, so you have a broader base than just the original music uh, that you had been studying uh, and influenced by um, when, when you got into jazz, so that when you hit uh, Brazil, you know, that, that's really, I mean, uh, radar's ringing at all. At all points. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like a big, an important part of uh, Brazilian music. I mean, har- Brazilian music is just so much more harmonically um, complex and rhythmically complex than Irish music and Appalachian music. Um, it's certainly the harmonies, and I think I wouldn't have been able to have made made the progress I did without having studied jazz. Um, and my jazz background, I never went to school for it. I mainly because it's was too expensive. I tried actually. Um, I had a, an audition at jazz school once, but at the end of the day, I just couldn't afford it. And, um, honestly, I'm pretty self-motivated. So I just bought a bunch of jazz books and had a few mentors, uh, piano player here in Asheville and a bass player in school and, and just was kind of a, a self-study. And when I got to Brazil, I already had a, pretty good knowledge of um, like theory, which helped because in Brazil, it's actually kind of interesting for a folk music. People think of Shorter as a folk music, but a lot of the players read and have a deep understanding of theory. Um, Even if they don't read, often they have a deep understanding of theory because it's very counterpoint based and you really need to know about where the chords are going. So, um, so that kind of like whipped me into shape. It sort of forced me to, open my musical, uh, I'm thinking in Portuguese now. In Portuguese, we would say, open your fan, like the fan that women use. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, they would say to open your, like, kind of like broaden your horizons, uh, but really just um, be more versatile as a musician. Beautiful. So what, what do you think were the commonalities? What, what were the things that, were, that you recognized when you first started uh, learning Brazilian music? And then what were the things that were completely foreign? Um, the thing, I'll start with what was completely foreign. <laughs> okay. And it's that you don't tap your foot, which drove me nuts. Really? I can't even tell you. Yeah, like, um, well, because I guess because Brazilian music is so polyrhythmic. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one reason people don't tap their foot. Um, because you're, in a way, you're kind of like crudely simplifying that that lush rhythmic, huh. that lush polyrhythm to just a, a foot tap. And I got scolded a few times for tapping my foot in various sessions. But obviously, you know, like some people are more pure than others. But uh, that's one thing that's different. The American tapping his foot again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not like I could hide my Americanness anymore, you know. But um, I think also people have a, a very strong internal pulse. And, um, and the thing about... Brazilian music, uh, you would, the, the, the way, at least in Shoro, which I started with, the way people improvise, you have the melody, which is pretty much a guideline, and um, you're encouraged. You would never play the melody like it's written on the page. You're encouraged to take liberties with the rhythm, like 
speeding up and slowing down in certain places, you know, and it's, uh, it's kind of jarring if you're reading it and you're like, Oh my God, like he's losing the beat. But then he always comes back in. He always knows where he is without tapping his foot. It's just, it's just internal. So that was, that was kind of foreign. Uh, but I'll, I'll say that, um, the biggest thing about Shuru, the most familiar thing to me was the fact that it's played in a circle of musicians and people take turns trading solos and trading tune heads, which reminded me a lot of say Irish music or old timer jazz. Um, uh, well, jazz in the sense that, you know, people trade solos, but specifically folk music in that people sit in a circle, usually at a bar drinking, you know, and there's that, uh, that thing, that aspect to it that I grew up with, but just like a completely different version. So that was really familiar and that made it a lot of fun to learn the music because I was always playing it with other people. It wasn't like classical music where, you know, it's not as participatory in that sense. So social, it's a social activity. Yeah. 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 So, so then let's move forward to, you know, how, um, the, the conception for this record. And I, I apologize. I'm not, I'm not, I've got a bunch of windows open here. The title is. The title is Canta Violino. Well, I'm, which I'm means. Because I wouldn't have been able to pronounce that anyway. <laughs> well, that's a problem because I was hoping that it would be something everyone could pronounce. Um, but yeah, it, it basically means I kind of translate it as sing it, sing it violin, sing it. So in Portuguese, if someone is just tearing it up, like imagine a soloist in church mm-hmm. and she's just like singing her ass off, just doing all these vocal pyrotechnics, the people in the crowd, like here they may say, you know, amen or whatever it is. But in Brazil, they'd be like, canta, canta, like you sing it, sing it. So it's kind of, um, it's, it's sort of like, yeah, go on now, sing yeah. it, baby, like that kind of idea. So is this, is this the first uh, album that you've done of Brazilian, uh, in the Brazilian style? Yes. Yes, and it is. You want to talk about, you know, what, I mean, we talked a little bit about, you know, when you first arrived in Brazil and the things you had to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, What's your intent and goal with this, and 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 what style would you place it in? Um, what well, in um, in Portuguese? It's really hard to have this conversation and not think in Portuguese. Sorry, Louis. Um, there's a there's a term which is just called popular, which means popular, uh, and popular could be could mean everything from MPB, which is um, Musica popular brasileira, popular music of Brazil. So that's like all Brazilian pop to samba to, um, you know, basically there's a lot of different genres in Brazilian music. And I would call this album just Brazilian because it, um, in English, I would call it Brazilian, maybe popular in Portuguese, because the songs are inspired by all these different genres. So you have Pohó from the Northeast, which is what Clay's really into, and then Choro and Samba, Brazilian jazz. Um, you know, there's, and then there's a straight up jazz waltz on there. So, um, yeah, I tried to deliberately make every track kind of, the, the last track is definitely like a Northeast Afro-Brazilian thing. You know what I mean? Just to vary it and uh, kind of pay homage to these very different traditions within Brazilian music. 
Beautiful. So, so because you were in, in the city, you, you, you were exposed to uh, like the, the full complement of well, you know, it's, Brazilian styles, right? It's funny because um, each city is a little different. I mean, Rio is definitely a samba city. Rio is samba, uh, a kind of music called pagode and choro. Um, and then if you go to the Northeast, I mean, it's a city of 10 million people, so you're going to find, if you look for it, you can find all these different genres, but it is palpable when you go to a place like uh, Salvador, which is um, in the Northeast, and the music is very different. It's much more Afro-Brazilian. Um, they have whole other genres that no one listens to in Rio, like this music called Ache. Uh, and if you go beyond that, like Recife um, and Pernambuco, it's all this music which is very different so um, yeah I mean I was I think just being around musicians I was exposed to all this stuff eventually because we're all trading recordings and everyone listens to everything but um, having direct access to like live music concerts you know um, in Rio I had a way more access to things like samba and shoro um, it was a good jazz scene too but if I wanted you know, if I wanted to hear some like real Afro-Brazilian, well, let's say like Afro-Bahian music, I'd have to go to Bahia for that, you know. Well, and I intend to one day. There, there you go. Uh, I'm curious, uh, and you know, just to, th this doesn't particularly have to do with, um, <clears throat> You know, prefacing what your 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 album is about, but uh, you've mentioned Afro Brazilian several times, and I'm curious to understand the or just to get a little bit of information about the diaspora in Brazil. Mm -hmm. how, how does that? You know the history mm -hmm. of how that comes about. Like you know, um, how are a little bit. A little bit. I mean, I'm no historian on this, but I can say that um, sort of the the African spiritual home of, and when I say spiritual, I mean like like not one religion in particular, but just kind of the part of Brazil that people always think of in their mind as the you know that like the African heart of Brazil would be Salvador, which is um, the third biggest city, I believe, maybe fourth biggest. Um, but it was the first capital of Brazil. And so a lot of slaves were brought there. Mm -hmm. And, um, and the legacy of that is that nowadays it's like somewhere between 80 to 85% Afro-Brazilian, depending on how you define race, right? Um, which is even more subjective in Brazil. So, uh, you can hear it in the accent. You can see it in the food. They eat certain kinds of foods, which, uh, they eat in West Africa as well. Um, the religion, they have this uh, capoeira you may have heard of, the martial arts thing. Um, it looks like they're dancing and fighting at the same time. Yes. That originated in Salvador. Um, and then this religion called Cantumblé, which is kind of like Brazilian Santeria, because um, they uh, it came from the same part of Nigeria. Uh, that's, that is a huge religion and a huge part of their identity up there. So that's when people want to learn capoeira, when they learn, want to learn about Cundumblé, that's where they go. They go to Salvador. Not to say this stuff doesn't exist in the rest of Brazil, but it kind of all started there. And 
um, meandered its way out into the rest of the country. Interesting. Uh, so, so yeah. Portugal is involved in this in the slave trade historically, and then and that's and that's the general. It's that's yeah, yeah. Migration happened, right? Forced migration. Okay. I I didn't even know that. It's funny. I mean, I you know, it's been a long time. Well, I will. I will say this, um, because there are five countries in Africa which speak Portuguese, since uh, the, the slave trade, there's been a lot of um, back and forth between, uh, so the biggest countries that speak Portuguese are Angola and Mozambique, right? And um, for the last, however long it's been since the end of slavery, 130 years, there's been a lot of back and forth between these places. Um, so much so that, uh, there's a kind of capoeira called capoeira de Angola. So, and I don't know if it started in Angola or if it started in Brazil, um, but it, it's only amplified this kind of African aspect to Brazil and Brazilian identity. Fascinating. Um, and I'm glad we touched on I that. wish I could tell you more, Louis. I'm no, I'm no authority on that. No, no. Well, you you know a lot more than I do, and and it's really good to hear. It's always interesting to talk to musicians. Uh, you always seem to know more about the world in general, uh, and I think that's because both the language of music, uh, you know, connects people, uh, and also because you travel much more than than anyone else. So, what's on the uh, coming close on time? Uh, what what's on? Yeah. 2018 we have we have you're preparing for this record to be released and we're going out on the mm -hmm. road with, uh, how big is the band when you're performing uh, uh, when I perform Canta Violino yes this record mm -hmm. uh, I I'm gonna try to try and keep it to a trio okay. I find um, I find a trio just the most manageable and like it's the smallest I can get away with in terms of sound, like a, you know, I, I really, I really want the drums, and I really want, you know, rhythm and harmony are so important in Brazilian music. I have to have those at the minimum. So if I, if I can travel with like a, a sick guitar player and a sick drummer, I'm happy. Um, and you know, maybe one day, you know, when this record goes platinum, Lewis, I can hire, you know, saxophone and other stuff. But yeah, I'll, I try to keep it to a trio. My, my calculator doesn't go up to that many streams, but uh, for platinum, <laughs> I'll bet before you get to platinum, you can get out on the road. But that, but that's great. So, right. Uh, what's uh, when does tour start, and when when are you going out? Like, what's the plan? Uh, well, I'm going to go to Brazil in March. I'm going to have a launch in Brazil with all of the people on the record. Oh, all but one, because there's this mandolin player who lives in Germany. Um, American guy, but anyway, everyone else lives in Rio, and we're gonna have this big launch, um, and then I come back to the states, and in April I'm gonna have a big launch in Asheville, and I'm flying in a Brazilian guitar player from New York, um, and can have a local drummer here, and we're we're playing three or four shows around that weekend, and um, I'm in conversation with a few other venues, but I don't want to say yet because it's not. Sure. Not 100 percent sure, but um, yeah, the hope is uh, at some point by the end of 2018, uh, line up another another tour for this album. Right, but those are the shows on the table. Probably submitting to festivals as well, so people can look for for festivals later in the year, hopefully. Um, 
That's great. I hope that I can get down to Asheville uh, around that time. I have family down there. Um, oh, cool. And I want to thank you again. This, this, you know, we listen to a lot of music over here. Uh, and mm-hmm. this is just set apart. You know, there's just, there's, you know, when I, but it's kind of that thing when you're like, I'm in a different mood. Let me pop this. Yeah. So refreshing. Uh, cool. Uh, and it does not, uh, for some reason, allow my mind to classify it. Uh, and, and that just lets mm. me enjoy the music uh, rather than having my brain uh, <laughs> thinking about what it, what it is, you know? Um, so Thank you. Thanks, man. Um, I just, I want to add one thing uh, before you go. It'd be great if you could make it, because I'm trying to make this a Ropajop event. Um, Jonathan Scales, if he's in town, he might make an appearance. And then Chuck Lichtenberger has already said that he's gonna he's gonna guest on a song or two. Oh, I gotta come! Back. I, we're gonna we're gonna throw down Chuck, Jonathan. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's the plan. <laughs> Send me a date, yeah. and uh, and uh, I'll I'll make the trip then. That sounds great. Will do. Right. Cool. Finn, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Lewis. Thanks, man. Have a great New Year. Well, that's our show for the week. Thanks for listening to The Station Tapes. If you like what we do, please subscribe on Mixcloud at 21 Soul. And you can also find us on Stitcher, Apple, and Spotify. Our 21 Soul video series features in-person interviews, music discussion, and live performances. And you can find that on YouTube at Ropadope99. Big thanks to our producer, Nick Perry. Our general manager is Fran DeRubo. The Station Tapes theme song is from Red Hook Soul by Michael Blake. And big thanks to all the people who keep the flame burning, to all the musicians who pour their creativity into the world, and thanks to those of you who are taking the time to listen. We hope you enjoy the show. Mm-hmm.